0: Good morning, everybody. Let's find our places, and we'll get started. I don't know what it is. About three months ago, I got sick and, like, never been able to shake it, and so on occasion, even now, it's been, like, almost three months, I've got this low-level cough, and, like, at some point, I'm going to cough, and it's really embarrassing if you have a microphone. (laughs) So <laughs> kind of get out of there now. It's kind of be done with it maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so ha- have you ever thought about people say there's no such thing as a cure for the common cold. Is that? You ever wonder about that? I mean, why? I mean, think about it. Why? Why can't they cure the common I mean, it's common. I mean, <laughs> you know, what do they tell you? Well, you know, Take this medicine for your running. I mean, just just ride it out. Just ride it out. That's all you got to do, you know. I mean, they can put a man on the moon. (laughs) Maybe they can't. I'm not sure exactly. That might not actually be true. I'm not not sure. I'm not sure exactly if they (laughs) actually put a man on. Okay. We can eradicate tuberculosis, (laughs) but we can't cure a comical. I mean, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Why am I talking about this? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Actually, it does kind of tie into what I want us to see today. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a break from our continuing forward in 1 Corinthians. We finished the first four chapters, and I just want to take a week because this is the end of the first section of 1 Corinthians, and the theme of 1 Corinthians, as we've seen, is this idea of the power of community, and we're we're just looking at how important it is to value and understand the entire body of Christ over myself as an individual. And there are seven areas of failure in the Corinthian church throughout the book, and the first area of failure is the first four chapters, and that's what we've completed. And what I want to do today is just kind of take a day to do an overview, review, and summary of the things that we've learned Be dealing with this one particular problem that is addressed in these chapters primarily, and that's interpersonal relationships. And so, when I think about these problems, um, I I want you to understand that in our Christian lives as well, similar to no cure for the common cold, Okay, we have common problems in our spiritual life, isn't that right? 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13 says that, there's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. Uh, whatever it is you're dealing with may seem very unique to your situation, and in the details, maybe it is unique to you. But generally speaking, the thing that you're suffering and the thing God's trying to teach you is no different than he's trying to teach all of us at some point in our lives. Whatever temptation is, ca- is crawling up on you is common to men, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. Mm, thank you, have you ever been through tough times in your life where you feel like, I can't take one more day? I have. And you know what kept me alive during those times? Ahead, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. Amen. Because I believe the Bible... I don't always like it because I believe the Bible and I know that God says that He will not allow a temptation to enter my life that I am not able to bear. By definition, whatever it is I'm going through, I'm able to bear. And so for me to think I can't bear it another day, well that's just not true. And that's not true for you either. Some of you may really truly be going through very difficult personal crises. And my heart goes out to you. But take courage in the fact that your particular crisis is common. It is common. And unlike the common cold, the common crisis that you're going through, God says that He's faithful and He will make a way to escape. So there is a cure. There is a way that you can be cured from whatever this common crisis is that you have. And so in our theme of 1 Corinthians chapters 1 through 4 and dealing with interpersonal relationships, certainly strife and contention and divisions among Christians is a common problem. It's a problem that's common to each and every one of us at some point in our lives. And so what we want to see is how we can find that solution. And that's, that's the title, The Cure for the Common Crisis. So we've dealt with the idea in this review of the first four chapters how behaving selfishly in regard to your personal relationships with others, it destroys the greater community. We've seen that over and over again. Let me remind you of a couple places. First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? And the verse goes on. But let's just stop there. Really? Is Christ and his body really divided? No, of course it's not really divided, but yet we find divisions among our body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we saw Paul using his own testimony as really the example of how we should have this attitude of humility. Notice what he says in verse number one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you, the great apostle Paul, notice, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. If ever there was a guy who could be excited about all the great gifting and the revelation that he got from the Lord, it would be the Apostle Paul. And he said, look, that's, that's not what I'm all about. He said, there's nothing in me that's of any value. I'm just glad that God can use it. If God used it, well, it's because he did it. It's not because I did anything at all. That's the attitude, right? But the Corinthians didn't seem to always get that, and so we go into chapter 3 and verse number 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And then jump down to verse 3 where it says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So within the body of a church where we should be content and fulfilled in Christ and with one another, they were behaving carnally. And that was demonstrated by the failure in these areas of interpersonal relationships, causing strife and contentions and divisions. Now, you need to understand that if you're experiencing or have experienced these things of strife and contentions among the brethren, These are never the issue, that issue, whatever your argument is about. That's not the root problem. It's just a symptom. It's a symptom of a greater problem and it's the ultimate symptom of being controlled by your flesh. Are ye not carnal slash fleshly, right? Because people argue and fight and they don't even know what the root issue really is. And so what do they do? They just, well, they do what we do with the common cold. They just ride it out. They just ride it out. They don't really do anything. But you know what? It doesn't go away. They avoid each other. That's, that's the answer. I'll just quit coming to church so I don't have to see them anymore. That's what people do. They think it's like, you know, take an aspirin. Uh, they're just going to mask the pain so they don't feel the pain. Aspirin, you know, doesn't cure anything. It just makes it not hurt so much right now. Okay, that's fine, But you want to ultimately get rid of the disease, right? You want to get rid of the issue so you don't have to worry about it anymore. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could do that? Wouldn't it be great if we could actually solve the issues of strife and just live in health and harmony together? Well, God gives us the solution like he promises he would, and this is in your notes. It says we can't eradicate the flesh, but we can crucify it. We can't eradicate it. As long as you are in this body, you have this element of the flesh that is always going to draw you to sin. And that's going to be with you until the rapture of the church and you get a new body. So as long as you're in this flesh, you can't eradicate it. But you can crucify it. Romans chapter 6 talks about that and it says in verse 11, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you have to just decide that although the Bible says clearly that you are crucified with Christ, that you are going to actually take the account and reckon yourselves to be what God already said you are, and that is dead indeed unto sin. Sin shall not reign anymore in my mortal body. So today I'm going to offer for you one easy cure for strife and division. It works. It really works. Interested? Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. First off, our problems are common, and you have already judged that we are capable of enduring them, but not just enduring them, but finding victory through you who are faithful, and that you'll give us the way of escape. I pray that you'll show us what that is. Lord, I'm so very thankful so many Men and women here today have already been healed of their issues with strife and contention and division. So many have already found this cure. So many walk in joy and harmony, and for that, I'm grateful. But there's always going to be some who continue to struggle and continue to be very frustrated and can't even look across the other side of the room because they might meet eyes with that one person that they can't stand to look or talk to. And I pray for those individuals that they specifically will hear your solution today. That they will understand what it is you have and then just have the courage to surrender to it so that we can live the joy-filled life that you intended, that abundant life. We pray that you'd be honored through our time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One cure, three steps. Step number one, remember your family. Remember your family. Now here we are and Tuscarawas County, and Tuscarawas County is a very family friendly area. It's a great place to raise kids and to have a family. It's a great thing. Their family values exist still, and parents and grandparents love and care for their kids and do things together with their kids. And so I don't need to sell you on the idea of family values. You know, sometimes people say when they deal with strife within their families, and of course that happens, that, well, you can't pick your family. I mean, you didn't really have a say-so, did you? I mean, you just appeared, and that's who you got. You got who you got. And so, you know, we sometimes use that to console ourselves, thinking, well, I mean, I didn't pick them. If I'd have picked them, let me tell you. I'd have picked different. But your spiritual family, you can pick them, can't you? Now, in a sense, right, you can pick them when you join the church that you join. Now, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 15, God gives us that analogy when he says of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The only time that word is used for your family in the New Testament is here in Ephesians 3:15 written to a local church. Now you may not get to pick every member of the church that you're a part of, but when you're considering joining a church, you get to pick which family you want to be a part of. I get it. We're all family in Christ. I get it that we're all brothers and sisters. I get it that all Christians everywhere have only one heavenly Father. I get it that we're all family in that sense, but in our in our household, okay? In this house, you get to pick. You get to pick your household. And in a household family, right? Everybody at times has strife with a brother or sister. I mean, it's just the way it works. I mean, you're going to pick at each other, you're going to fight. If you're boys, you're typically going to fight. If you're girls, you're just going to, you know, well. <laughs> Maybe not physically, but uh, yeah, it gets bad. <laughs> and if it's a boy and a girl, well, you know, just whatever. Uh, my sister used. My sister's older than I am, I only have one sibling, and she would torment me. Four and a half years older than me, you know, so... She'd torment me with little things, and I was, that, I was that little brother, okay? And I would do whatever I could to get over on her. And, and then finally, when I you know, started to get a little bit older, when I got to be about 10, 11, I started to grow bigger. And one time my sister mouthed off and said something, and I mean, I I mean I hit her. I nailed her. <laughs> I mean, it was like the first time that I was big enough to stand up. for. I mean, she was bigger than I am, right? So that day... My first chance, my dad was there. <laughs> Man, he whipped me, and I'm telling you, like, I was like, Dad, I, like 10 or 11 years I've been waiting for that. Come on. Just five minutes, right? No, you don't ever hit a girl. Okay, so great lesson. Okay, we have strife. We have problems. We have difficulty. We, we bicker with one another, but hey, you know what? Don't let somebody else attack our family. Like I can fight with my brother or sister, but don't you fight with them. Amen. I'm gonna defend them if you fight with them. Oh, yeah, right? That's how family works. You don't look, if somebody else is attacking your family, a good family unites. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the way it works. Families come together around needs. Amen. A family member is ill or another family member. Uh, has financial crises, or whatever the case might be, the the rest of the family, if it's a good family, is going to rally around and unite and set aside whatever little petty arguments they had for the moment, and we're going to come together. Why is that? It's because we're family. It's because we're blood. It's because we share the same last name. And that means something. There's just something about being family that draws us together. And we forget that sometimes. Now in our study of the first four chapters of 1 Corinthians, maybe you weren't with us at the very beginning. We started off this study at the beginning of the year, and we talked about how the book of Romans gives us our doctrine. The book of Romans is written so that we will know exactly what it is we're supposed to know. Romans gives us our doctrine. okay? And so without going into a lot of that kind of stuff, let me just give you kind of a rapid-fire idea of some of the doctrine that Romans deals with as it concerns interpersonal relationships. And so just listen, these aren't going to even appear on the screen, but in Romans it says that we're to be kindly affectioned one to another, it says that in honor we're to prefer one another, it says we're to be of the same mind one toward another, it says that we're not to owe any man anything except to love one another. And in saying all of these things, of course all those things have great meaning if you dive into them, I want you to also know that Romans tells us it is okay to have different opinions. It is okay. Because it says be of the same mind, it doesn't mean you always agree. In Romans 14 it says, one believeth that he may eat all things, and another who is weak eateth herbs. It goes on in that chapter and says, one man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. Notice what the Lord says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. You can have different opinions about things. It's okay. Just don't judge the other one for having it, right? So in the same chapter, it goes on and it says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. And it says, later on, it says, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, wherewith one may edify another. So these are some of the things that we need to know about what God is trying to teach us about how we deal with each other. I think most of us know these things. It goes on in Romans, and it says over and over again many things. Receive ye one another, admonish one another, and one of my all-time favorites, salute one another with a holy kiss. And we like to giggle and wonder about that, and the dudes are like, yeah, I ain't doing that. Um, The idea is this, truly and simply. The holy kiss is just the idea of genuine brotherly, sisterly affection. Can you imagine greeting or saluting a brother or sister in Christ with whom you have strife by kissing each other on the cheek? That'd be tough, wouldn't it? There's something to demonstrating genuine affection, and these are the things that we're supposed to do because Romans is our doctrine. Now, we know that we struggle doing it. And oh, by the way, Paul struggled with some of these things too. In Romans 7.15 it says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. I get it, Romans 7 is that chapter that has those verses that, you know, the grammar is structured in such a way that sometimes it's hard to follow. All he's saying is this, The things that I want to do, I find myself not doing. And the things that I don't want to do, and I actually hate, I find myself doing. What a frustration. I know what I'm supposed to do, but somehow I can't seem to pull the strength. Somehow or another, I seem to keep falling. Somehow or another, I keep wrestling with, and we know what the problem is, it's the flesh. It's the flesh. So Romans gives us our doctrine, and as we spoke of in the early messages of this series, 1 Corinthians gives us our practice 1 Corinthians gives us how we should live. 1 Corinthians is not written so that we would gain a lot of doctrinal teaching on new areas. That's not the purpose. 1 Corinthians is the expose of how men live it out and specifically many times how they fail to live it out because these common problems exist. So we would have seen in chapter 3 as we just read in verse 4 one says, um, says I'm of Paul another I'm of Apollos. He says are ye not carnal? So the idea of being fleshly or selfish is the problem that's going to appear. In chapter 4, we saw a couple of weeks ago that one of the problems is, is that we think of men more highly than we do of the Word of God. Literally, it says, think of men above that which is written. We think more highly of men than the Word of God thinks of men. Right? And as a result, we end up being proud, puffed up, one against another. This is a struggle that we have. We'll see in weeks to come when we get to chapter 7 where he says, Now there, therefore, there's utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Literally, Christians are suing each other in the courts. Why do you not rather, notice, take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? That would be better than attacking legally your brother or sister in Christ. The selfishness applied in the taking of the communion, the Lord's table, where it says, in eating, everyone taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. That's just thinking of yourself, not the body. And so we're exhorted to change. We're exhorted to not live that way. Because Romans tells us what we should do, but 1 Corinthians reveals that, hey, we we have a hard time doing that. In each of these three points we're going to see today, there's a key word. The key word associated with remembering your family is going to be the word members. Members. Romans 12 and verse 5, So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. You get the picture. 1 Corinthians 12, the same picture, verse 12, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. I want you to keep this mindset in you. I want you to consider this picture that the Lord is giving us. Together we are the body. Each individual one of us is an individual different member of the body in conjunction with the idea of strife and contentions and how he hates that. Go back to what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 29 and 30. Consider this. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and that thy whole body should be cast in th- and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell and if thy right hand offend thee cut it off and cast it from thee for it is profitable for, th- for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell so there's a whole doctrinal teaching of how this applies in the tribulation and and taking the mark of the beast. There's some interesting things that have to do with this passage. Let's just look at it very practically. Let's just look at it in the context of Jesus Christ is saying, if, if there is a member of your physical body, your right hand, your eye, interestingly, your eye looks at things. If you have a problem looking at things you shouldn't be looking at, you'd be better off plucking your eye out and throwing it away than allowing it to affect you to the point where you just reject the Lord you'd be better off doing that. If your hand, the things that you do, so drive you to sin, you'd be better off chopping your hand off and casting it away than allowing that sinful work to infect your heart and that you never really trust the Lord. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, seri- now, just for a second, literally consider ever having to do that. I mean, just think what it would take to pluck your eye out and throw it away. I mean, you're. I mean, I, I get it. You're. You know, when I was coming across this this week, I was like, "Well, that's a good example. That's awful. That's terrible. Oh my goodness! I don't know. I don't. I don't. I mean, I know the Lord said it. I don't know if I could do that. Why do we have that kind of a visceral reaction? Because we value the members of our body. <laughs> Man, our members matter. Hey, I'll give you 500 bucks for that right eye. You know, who's taking that deal? Nobody's taking that deal, right? I mean, you, man, I want my eye, right? I want it. I'm keeping it. You keep your money. Listen, we care about our members, right? There's something innate in us that values our members. You can't just dispose of your members, right? So is the body of Christ. You can't just dispose of your members. You have to remember the family. Remember that you are family and that you're members together. So Psalm 133 and verse 1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Brethren, well, they're brothers. They're family members. That's who they are. So just remember who you are. Remember how we're connected. That'll be the first step on your healing process. Step number two, reverse your fight. Reverse the fight. So now we're going from family to fighting. Well, they're connected. We saw how they're connected, right? We do fight with our family from time to time. And there's a key word associated with this. In in the idea of our fighting, the key word we're going to look at in this case is the word matters. Matters. Now, let me explain that, because if you just look up the word matter, matters, There's several different dictionary definitions. We're going to look at two of them and see how they apply. Definition number one of matter, to be of consequence or to be of importance. Some things matter and other things don't. That's how we would use it, right? In other words, concerning the fights that you get into, some things are worth fighting for. Amen? Amen. I mean, face it, we're not just saying because you're a Christian, you just roll over as a pacifist and never take a stand for anything. We're not saying that. Some things are worth fighting for. You should fight for your family. If somebody was going to come in and attack your family, sure enough, you're going to fight for them. You're going to fight for your family. That would be the right thing to do. You would want to protect them, no doubt about it. But let me ask you a question. Would you fight like that to protect a dead guy? that's weird. If somebody, if somebody wanted to, I know this is weird, forgive me, but I'm going somewhere with this. If somebody wanted to punch a dead guy in the face, I know that sounds weird, but I mean really, I mean he's dead already. I mean, it's over, I, who cares? Okay, listen, you know what the Bible says in Galatians 2.20, we are crucified with Christ. You know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. Right, this is how we're supposed to live our lives. Uh, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 that we're dead and our life is hid with Christ in God. We are the dead men walking. We are the walking dead, that's who we are. We are crucified with Christ, that's who we are. And as a result, if somebody attacks me, should I care, really? I mean, are I really going to fight to protect a dead guy? I mean, Jeff's not even here anymore. He's gone. Christ lives in me now, right? Well, you know where this is going, don't you? You know what's a a tough doctrine to prove in the New Testament? I mean, I'm just saying. Tough doctrine to prove? Self-defense. Again, I'm not saying you let people abuse you or your loved ones, but I'm just saying. Jesus said, if a man smites you on the one cheek, turn to him the other one. We read in 1 Corinthians 6 earlier that, hey, isn't it better, instead of fighting with people, isn't it better if a guy sues you? Now just let him. Just be defrauded. Just suffer loss. What? That sounds crazy. That's what it says. That's what it says. Listen, when you look at the qualifications for a mature Christian, and therefore possibly a bishop or an elder in a church in 1 Timothy chapter 3, It says that he is not to be a brawler or a striker. And a striker is physical striking. And a mature Christian shouldn't be one who engages in such things. A brawler is one who engages in verbal conflict. You know, it's better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a large house with a brawling woman. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I mean, it's just the Bible, guys. I mean, come on. That doesn't mean the woman is, you know, an MMA fighter. It means that she argues a lot. Okay? So, and 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24, do we have that? Throw that one up there. The servant of the Lord, the New Testament says, must not strive. Must not strive. That's a command, that's what you're told to do. If you're anything like me, and I'm actually fairly confident that most of you in this small area are probably a lot like me, you value peace in your life, don't you? I hate fighting. Man, I hate it. And, you know, we have pastors in this church to help moderate people who are struggling, and we're here to help you. But that means that part of our job description is constantly dealing with people in conflict. That's a challenge. I I don't, I wish, I I tell you, I frequently will say, you know, in the quiet times of my life, man, I I can't wait for the kingdom. (laughs) I can't wait till sin is gone and the devil is tied up. I can't wait for the glorified body with no more fleshly nature. I can't wait till we actually live out the things that the Bible says. Man, I love peace. And the Bible says that we're to follow after peace. Romans 14, 19, we saw this. Therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and the things wherewith one may edify another. And a couple of verses earlier in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So we're commanded to not fight. And we say we don't even like it. But, but we might kind of like it, <laughs> because we do it from time to time. We do it, maybe more frequently than we'd even like to admit. But we know that we have flesh, and we know the flesh is striving to have us behave that way, and the flesh always thinks of itself instead of others, and so this is the battle that we have inside of us. And so what we really need to determine is what the next definition of matter is all about, and that's definition number two, the substance or issue Being dealt with. What is the thing that you're fighting over? What is the object, the matter, that you're dealing with? The first one is, does it even matter? The next one is, what is that matter? What is the issue that you're you're dealing with? And can I tell you, quit fighting over things that don't matter. Quit fighting to protect a dead guy. Quit doing that. You already know the next part of the notes. You could have filled this in already. Our only true enemies are the devil, the world, and the flesh. You knew that. Our true enemies are spiritual, right? They're never one another. It's not even that guy that the devil uses to attack you. That guy or that lady is not your enemy. The enemy is the spiritual force causing them to behave in such a way. That's the enemy, It's never the individual. So let me remind you of Ephesians 6.12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Let me give you just some personal observations from my experiences. Um, I, I, you know, I'm nobody's standard for anything. I'm just a guy who's lived a bunch of years and ministered in some very unique, different circumstances, and I've observed human behavior for a long time, and, well, I'm going to share them with you a little bit. So I've had two very uniquely different ministry experiences in my life, and both were very cha- have been very challenging, uh, but for very different ways and def- different reasons. And so, you know, I I ministered in the country of Albania for 14 years, and I've ministered in the States here now for the last 12, and, of course, prior to going to Albania in the States as well. But those are my two contexts for understanding some interactions of people in ministry. Let me tell you briefly a little bit about life in Albania. Life in Albania on a daily basis is, as you might expect, very difficult. And when I arrived, it was immediately after communism fell and the poverty was even greater And um, so there was a lot of challenges in daily life Albania through the 90s and the early 2000s. And uh, what we found as the result of a lot of things, at the end of the day it's the result of the devil and the flesh and the world system, um, that, well, there was a lot of very selfish people. They were corrupt, they were very contrary, Uh, it seemed as though they loved a good fight. Uh, Very argumentative. Um, Lying was as normal as drinking water. Um, Cheating. You couldn't go and get a driver's license. You couldn't get an inspection in your car. You couldn't buy, I mean, anywhere you went, you couldn't go visit your loved one in the hospital without paying the guard at the door of the hospital a bribe to let you into the hospital. I mean, every single step of your life, everywhere you went, and everything you tried to do was met with daily friction and opposition. So, daily life in such a country was very difficult, and it was very clear that the world is your enemy. Now, people get saved, and they get saved out of that, and they come into the church. And when they would come into the church, oh my goodness the church then becomes this oasis of peace in the midst of a very troubled sea of society. The church becomes the place where people love to be and love one another and don't want to leave because they know once they walk out those doors, man, that world system controlled by the devil is waiting for them. And so they loved the fellowship, and when church would be over, they would all go out for coffee and hang out together, and sometimes they would go and eat lunch together, and then they'd get back again together that night because they knew when Monday came, man, whew, back at it again. And so there was some very clear battle lines drawn, and everybody knew the church is your family and your friend and your ally, and the world is the enemy, and it's evident every single day and every single event you went through. Now, if you move to live there like I did, that makes daily life very difficult. But boy, church life, man, that was awesome and very worth it. When you saw the change in people from darkness to light, what a wonderful thing that was. Then I come back to the States after living there for 14 years. And in the States, it's very different. Because, well, in the United States, we're rich. And that's really the bottom line. We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. So we have enough money to enjoy the finer things of life. We have enough money to save. We have enough money to have beautiful homes. We have enough money to do our favorite recreational activities. We have enough money that when, you know, we're just stressed out, we just go on vacation. And, you know, then, you know, if you've worked long enough in a place, then you get more and more and more weeks of vacation. And you can make enough money such that you get to a point in your life where you can actually retire and quit working. What a wonderful idea that is. Can't do that in a lot of countries. And you can quit working, and you can just live in leisure the rest of your life. Uh, Are those things sin? No, but you know what? Here's what happens. The American Christian falls into a trap. The world's not my enemy. I get along with the world just fine but there's just something in us, you know? It's that flesh. And that flesh that's in us, man, is just looking to pick a fight with somebody. And because we don't necessarily have this common enemy as soon as you walk out the doors, well, Christians, you know, they get a little twisted and they just pick fights with each other. And so, you know, they come to church for any number of reasons why people come to church, and man, as soon as possible, let's all bow our heads to pray. Boom, they're out the back door. I mean, I can't wait to get back to whatever it is you've got planned for the rest of the day because whatever's waiting for you after I'm done talking, man, that's going to be fun. Can't wait for that. I'm going to go, especially the weather's breaking now. We've got all kind of fun to do now. The weather's going to be nice. By the way, that's fine. I, I like it too. But man, I mean, so much so that it's like I did the church thing. I got that checked off my list. I'm going to go have fun in the world now. And what happens is is that we forget what the Bible says in places like James chapter 4 and verse number 4. Know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so people forget that that's in the Bible or they just say, well, yeah, I mean, that doesn't apply to me. I mean, some people are like, that's not me. So all of our Things that draw us in this world system. All the recreation, hobbies, fun, money-making. There's no battle with the world. So your flesh looks for somebody else to fight. So I say, reverse your fight. <laughs> fight who the real enemy is supposed to be. Understand the matter of the fight. What is the object of the fight? It's not the family. It's not the family. It's got to be the world. So what I've observed is this. Your friends determine your enemies. Think about that. Your friends determine your enemies. You don't have to think about who you're going to pick to be your enemy. Just think about who you're going to pick to be your friend. Because whoever your friends are are going to naturally align you against the enemies of those friends. And so we tell everybody, we especially tell young adults, teenagers, there's a lot of pressure on you teenagers, to get in friendships with whomever the cool kids are and whatever they're doing because the culture of today in this present evil world is to draw you into rebellion. Uh, Youth culture today is all about rebellion. If you're rebellious, you're cool. If you're cool, you're rebellious. And if you love your mom and dad and you love doing what's right, well, you're just weird. And you're going to have to fight that. So who are your friends going to be? You need to surround yourself with Jesus' friends. You need to surround yourself with people who love doing right with you, right? Your friends determine your enemies. You have to pick wisely. Make the church your friend. And the world becomes your enemy. It just works out that way. But if you make the world your friend, well, there's going to be an enemy. Listen, let me just tell you something. Sometimes I wonder why I should share this much stuff about me. (laughs) I guess the Lord would have me do it. They're not always flattering, but hopefully it'll be helpful. I I want you to know, I'm a good friend. Now, you may be sitting there saying you're not my good friend. Well, maybe we haven't had a chance yet. (laughs) But if I'm your friend, I want you to know I'm a good friend. And that means, and I I joke around with people, my friends, with this sometimes. That means that if my good friends have an enemy, well, they're my enemy too. Now, I'm not saying that's always the right thing to do. (laughs) because sometimes my friends have enemies they shouldn't have. But I love my friends. And it proves the point. Your friends determine your enemies. I talked to a preacher friend of mine. He's a good friend, and he's having a real struggle with somebody and some issue. And, and I was like, well, just tell me who we're hating, because I'm, I'm with you, man. <laughs> like, I don't even have a dog in the fight. I don't even really care, but my friend doesn't like the guy, so I'm like, I'm with you, dude. I'm a good friend. I'm hanging with you. And and you know what? That's what I want from my, like if you're you're my friend, I want you to hang with me. Now, again, the real enemies are spiritual. I get that. I get that. But this is a principle that works. Okay, so you need to switch the whole fight thing, but really you can't do that unless you do the third step, and this is the last one. Redirect your focus. Redirect your focus. Because this is really the thing that's going to tie it all together. It's the thing that's going to allow you to accomplish the others. So, if you struggle with others, or when you struggle with others, we all do it at some point, can I tell you, the answer is not, just try harder to love them. You ever tried that? You ever thought, man, I'm supposed to love them, so here I go. And you you just think, you just think if I try harder... Like the, you know the ma- magic fairy dust you know, showers down on you, and oh, I love them now. No, it never works. You know it doesn't work." <laughs> and people try and they burn out, trying, because you're doing it in the flesh. And can I even say this with love? You have to adjust your focus. Human beings are not a worthy enough focus for you to keep going for your entire life, because human beings will disappoint you. Your struggle is not an issue of not loving the body enough. It's an issue of your focus or your priorities. So I would say to you, don't merely focus on the family, right? That's, that's a focus that you should have, but alone it's not enough. You need to redirect the focus to the thing that actually deserves it. And that's the key word for our third point. And that word is ministry. You need to redirect your focus away from the individuals and focus it on the work of the ministry. This will solve your problem. You remember the great commandment and the great commission? Matthew 22 is the great commandment. Master, which is the great commandment in the law, right? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So Jesus gave us the summary of all the Old Testament. Love the Lord and love each other. That needs to be balanced with what we call the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? Go ye therefore and teach or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all, way into the end of the world. Amen. And so we have this balance between our love relationship with the Lord and His family and our mission to get things done to get more people into the family. This is our Christian life. This is the balanced Christian life. And what I want you to understand is this in your notes. Each flows from the other. Each flows from the other, not just one flows from the other. We frequently hear it said that if you get your love relationship set, then it will naturally overflow into doing ministry. And the reason people get burned out in ministry is they don't have the love relationship set. That is accurate. But it's not the entirety of the story. The love flows into the ministry, but what we'll see by the time we're done here in a few minutes, the ministry flows back into the love. It really does. And that's what we see. If you truly love the Lord, Jesus Christ said in John 14, 15, keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so, you know, I can say, well, I don't think you love the Lord. And you'll say, well, how dare you? You have no idea what I love. Well, I know that you don't keep the commandments. <laughs> I know that. And I know that Jesus said that if you love me, you will keep the commandments. So, hey, you know, there's probably something shaky on the love thing. Right? So Jesus said, look, this love thing is connected with the doing thing. Who you are and what you do are integrally... Integri- 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 <laughs> That's a hard job, y'all. Come up here and try it. They're connected. How do I know that they're connected? Well, listen, what are the commandments? God didn't, look, He commanded us to live holy and separate from the world. But not just so that we're not sin-stained, but it's so that without the stain of sin we can be vessels used by God to get the gospel to the world. That's the Great Commission. That's how we know that. That's what He left us to do. So, going back to the review of 1 Corinthians 1-4, through on the heels of chapter 1 pointing out the division, Apollos and Cephas and Paul and all the divisions that are going on, he ends chapter number 1 with this, 1 Corinthians one Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to, unto us which are saved it's the power of God. Then he goes on a little lower and he says, For you see you're calling, brethren, that not the people with all the physical characteristics are the ones necessarily that God's calling, but God's calling you to confound the wise with the foolishness of God. He can use even me, even you, to preach the gospel and get his word out. In other words, Paul is saying, redirect your focus, y'all. Quit thinking about me and quit thinking about Apollos and quit thinking about Peter and quit thinking about whose group you're in Quit thinking about just focusing on the family. Focus on the work. Get busy getting the word out. Get busy preaching the gospel. That's what he's saying. Don't focus on the group. Don't, don't even focus on the community, the power. Of the, don't even focus on that. Focus on the Lord. Focus on his work. And you know why that works? I mean, this is so simple. Some of you are going to leave here thinking, eh, really? It's too simple. Yeah, so is salvation. It's too simple, isn't it? People are going to go to hell thinking it's too simple. And people are going to be fighting with other Christians their whole lives because this solution is too simple. Man, the Lord has this thing fixed. And you know why it works? (laughs) This is just so weird. I'm embarrassed saying it out loud. If you get busy doing the work of the ministry, you ain't got time to fight with nobody. Busy people don't have time to argue about dumb things. They don't. Hey, I'm busy. I I got stuff going on. I got so much going on. Man, I, I hope you got stuff going on. God bless you. I'm on your side, man. But I'm busy. I got work to do. Man, we're trying to get this thing done. Busy people in the ministry are living for something greater than themselves. They have already crucified the flesh. They've already determined, I don't matter. I exist to serve the Lord. That's why I'm here. With that in mind, I want you to consider what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I know there was a financial aspect to that. But if you invest your treasure, your time, your effort, your resources into winning people to Jesus Christ and making disciples and building them up and growing the church, then you know what the rest of the church becomes to you? Instantly, the rest of the church becomes your ally. In the common battle against the one and only problem that God Almighty has, men are going to hell. He gave man free will, and they are headed down the wrong road. And the only thing the Lord has concerned himself with is how do I get the word to these people so that they will willingly choose me and not end up in eternity of suffering? You engage yourself in the work that is in God's heart, don't you know he's going to take care of the details of your problems? Don't you know that? Of course he's going to do that. Of course loving God is going to cause you to get more involved in ministry. Of course that's the case. But where your treasure is, if my treasure of investment, of my precious time, of my precious talents, of my precious resources are invested in the building up of the kingdom of God, then it says my heart is also going to be there. That means my heart is also going to be soft toward all of you that are equally working to do the same thing. So not only does the love affect the work, the work affects the love. The work affects the love. And we have a common problem of strife. It happens. Maybe not to you now. Maybe you're doing great. And a lot of people are doing great. But they come in swells, don't they? They come in seasons. And you've been in some, and you'll probably be in more. But if it's among church people, man, that's just embarrassing. We should be bigger than that. We should have a better focus than that. Why are we so worried about the details of some guy or some gal that said something? I mean, really. Focus on the work. Remember that we're members of one another. Quit fighting the wrong enemy. Get involved in ministry. I mean, get involved. And you know what's going to happen to your common crisis of contention and division and strife that you might be feeling, that's just going to go away. I mean, it's just going to go away. And I couldn't think of a better subject to present to you as a summary of this first section of these four chapters of this book of the Bible. Change your focus from inward to outward. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 3. It's an honor for a man to cease from strife. But every fool will be meddling. It's an honor to cease from strife. And the way you're going to do it is redirect your focus to ministry. How can I get involved? Well, listen, that's a whole nother deal that we can talk about in great detail. But you know what you have in the pew in front of you is that little connection card. If you're not currently involved in some ministry and you want to get involved in some way, maybe there's something on that list of ministry options you can check. Maybe you're not even sure what it is and you just want to talk to somebody. Take that connection card and just fill it out. Say, I'm interested in getting involved in ministry and I don't know what's available to me. We've got a lot of things available, we've got a lot of opportunities. And by the way, we need you to be involved. There's a lot of things that we're doing together and we're always looking for more help. Man, there's room. So just fill out the card. And maybe God spoke to your heart and maybe for some reason you're just not sure that you know that you're in God's family. Well, man, can I just tell you? Surrender your heart to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Just ask Him to forgive you your sins. I mean, He'll do that. We're going to pray in a second. Just do that. Maybe you're here and you're looking for a church home and, you know, it's always said you can't pick your family, but you can pick your local church. You can pick which spiritual family you want to be a part of. And I pray you'd want to pick this one. However God's leading you. You can mark that down and just let us know, man. Somebody will call you. Somebody will follow up. Somebody will help you. That's why we're here. Let's pray together.